Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, another week in the books. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. You know, we're almost at the end of October. Um, early November. Um, I'm just, because it's the Halloween season, so I'm like chalking up and like binging every horror movie that you can imagine right now. And I'm just enjoying it, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I was just looking out the window this morning. Uh, obviously, we record Saturday, Sunday mornings, this week, Sunday. Um, and, uh, you know, the frost is hitting the the windshields of the cars and the mm-hmm. windows outside. And, man, it just feels weird not having hockey for, uh, you know, the next little while anyway. Yeah, I remember, like, when I was coaching, I would wake up every single morning especially right now you would see the frost and you would just like i'm just like bundling up making sure i'm warm and then i'm going to tim's going to the rink and it's like you can't even do that right now anymore yeah it's 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 crazy but uh like you said you know halloween halloween season's in in full swing uh as of right now in ontario they are allowed to trick-or-treat so long as they're maintaining safe distances um you know, obviously, we've mentioned it before. I've got a little one. It's his first Halloween, so that's mm-hmm. exciting for my wife and I. Um, but, uh, yeah, good week. Uh, my little Netflix shout-out of the week. Um, I, I just watched The Trials of the Chicago 7. Uh, really good uh, film. Aaron Sorkin, uh, you know, produced it and everything. And uh, just a, a quality flick if anybody's looking for something to watch. That is on my recommended now. Yeah, I did a little bit of reading to see what what uh, it was all about. Obviously, you know, I wasn't around for the uh, for the actual trials of the Chicago Seven, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just a, a really interesting story, and uh, I I highly recommend the film. It's a it's a good one. Noted, noted. Um, before we get into this, um, I just want to clarify something from our uh, you know, our draft episode. It's the um, so when we were talking about Shakir Makamadulin, um, I was talking about like how like certain uh, prospect writers are saying thing about him, how he's like you know not necessarily a uh, someone that you would take in that spot. While that is true, I was just mainly also referring to the writer's reaction to the pick, saying like what the heck was going on with that, because like. You, like me, like everybody else with the hockey writers and around the hockey world watching the draft, everyone was scratching their head like, what just happened? So it's more in in regards to the reaction as opposed to what they said about the prospect. Yeah, no, that, that, and then, you know what, like we've mentioned on this show before, it's, um, you know, we're, we've got so much information coming out uh, that sometimes, you know, we, we slip up a little bit and, uh, you know, we'll always look back and clarify when we can, so hmm so with that let's delve back into our i guess weird off season um let's obviously chill. some more signings and some more uh news from around uh the leagues and uh we'll start off with a former maple leaf uh the senators re-signed forward connor brown to a three-year deal worth 10.8 million that's an annual average value of 3.6 million uh brown and the senators avoid arbitration Brown's coming off a season where he had 43 points in 71 games, including 16 goals. He had a 20-goal season back with the Leafs in 2016-17. He'll see a raise of about $800,000 per season. And, uh, you know, not bad 
uh, for a sixth round pick um, who's got 142 points in 324 regular season games. So, you know, a guy that's uh, obviously going to see just under $4 million a year. Like I mentioned, sixth round pick in 2012 for the Leafs. And, uh, you know, I always liked Connor Brown. So I think, uh, I, I, you know, I'm obviously happy for him. And he's taking on a new role as a veteran with the Senators that, uh, you know, maybe he wasn't used to uh, prior to this season. I mean, how often can you say that you're now a veteran at age 26? I mean, that's that's kind of something considering that they're going through a rebuild right now, right? Yeah, and I think we mentioned it last episode. Obviously, you know, not a lot of long-tenured senators left on that team. So he's, uh, he's going to be a guy that uh, is looked upon to kind of, you know, make a difference uh, in terms of showing showing these young guys how to be pros. And like you said, you know, 26 years old and, already considered a veteran on on that young squad so yeah and you know what it's still really good value for him I mean considering that he had like a career high in points 43 I'm pretty sure this is like you know what Lee fans you know would have expected from him despite you know the last two seasons maybe not going in the right direction as he anticipated especially in the season before he got traded in 2018-19 but you know like you said uh career high in goals uh, not not career high in goals, but he surpasses uh, uh, 36 point mark, and he had 16 goals and 27 assists for 43 points. Um, it's great for him, and it's, and for the sense perspective, if you don't decide to you know extend him after three years right now, when other players need to be called up, and you know, obviously they got the cap space for him right now. 3.6 million right now in three years is going to, you know, work out to your benefit when you have to sign possibly, you know, some of your other prospects that, you know, could make more of a significant impact. Yeah, no, I think like you mentioned, um, you know, solid, solid uh, value for a guy that obviously, you know, 43 points in 71 games, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a team that wasn't very good, um, you know, that's, that's impressive. And I, I think over his career, even in junior, you know, he played in Erie, and a little bit undervalued in terms of what he was able to do, you know, playing alongside like guys like Connor McDavid. So, um, you know, I think that definitely hurt him um, coming out of the draft because I think people kind of undervalued what he was able to do on the ice. Mm-hmm. That said, I think, you know, playing with the centers and having a bigger role, he was able to kind of, you know, show what he's able to do and and, and bring a little bit more to the offensive side of the, the game as well as being a solid penalty killer which is important in this league and I think that uh you know when the Leafs when the Leafs moved him it was it was hard to see that go because he was a guy that brought obviously brought speed was able to kill penalties um you know was just again like I said a very undervalued guy Mm -hmm. um but uh you know I would have liked to see what he did under Sheldon Keefe uh, unfortunately, you know, obviously we had to move on from him and, and, and that's just the way it, it was like his contract for the least 2.1 million. That's still good. And given the fact that, yeah, you got 128 points after our 128 points, you know, playing alongside Connor McDavid, his rookie year with the Marlies where he didn't have McDavid, he had 61 points. So you did kind of have someone who can produce this just, I think also the fact that, you know, he was being sheltered in a bottom six role when, you know, even when he was trying to play in the top six, he was good at times, but he just didn't quite click as well as, as we'd imagined. But, you know, 
I, I mean, and also when we had to like, you know, sign our own restricted free agents, especially, especially Mitch Marner, you had to clear up cap space. And despite 2.1 still being relatively cheap, he was on the outside. So, I mean, I, again, like you said as well, good for him. Glad, glad that he's now producing. And hopefully, you know, I, again, 3.6 for a guy in the top six role right now. I'd take it. Yeah, not bad at all. Uh, moving on from there, obviously, um, another Canadian signing in in the Oilers, re-signing defenseman Chris Russell to a one-year extension. So he's got one year left on a four-year deal uh, that pays him four million per. Um, this extension is going to be one point or worth one point two five million um, for the twenty one twenty two season, and. Uh, you know, for a 33-year-old, only had nine points in 55 games last season, 236 points over 846 regular season games. It's not a bad extension for, you know, a team that uh, will be looking for a little bit of, you know, veteran leadership as well as they kind of move to that next-gen uh, Oilers team. So um, I don't mind this signing. Um, obviously, a guy that you're going to have a, in a depth role. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's like you said, you want to have depth role because – Let's face it, next year, I'm not saying I'm not necessarily saying that they're going to be up, but if Philip Broberg continues to develop as planned, if Evan Bouchard continues to, you know, produce and, you know, still consider be a top prospect for them, Dmitry Samarukov, you got guys coming up in the pipeline right now that you're gonna rely on and you could possibly see one out of the three in possibly a bottom six role. But the other two can possibly see regular minutes in, like, you know, a uh, for, uh, second pairing si- uh, situation. So to have possibly have one of them alongside Chris Russell could work out. You know, he's a veteran. He can show him ropes as well. But, uh, yeah, it, it, for them doing it one year, I don't mind it. It's just if you have them coming up, then you got to make a decision. If the rookies are good, then is Chris Russell going to sit out one game? Um who else are you going to look at? I mean, you're not really looking at Darnold Nurse or Clefbaum, but you want to have you want to have depth, and the Oilers have depth right now, so that's a really good signing. But still, something to consider that they have prospects possibly coming up through the system that could, you know, possibly make an impact right away. Yeah, it's kind of like the Bogosian signing this year for the Leafs. Like mm-hmm. he's a guy that you you might not expect to get in all 82 games, but. You know, a guy who's been around the league and, and understands what needs to get done to win games. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, just having him there. And, and as you mentioned, if he gets past this season where he's still he's still being paid $4 million, next year is a movable contract at $1.25. So, Absolutely. You know, it's, it's a guy that, uh, you know, you can you can kind of move on from if, if that's the case. And some of your younger guys do, uh, do make a run uh, in terms of trying to get into the lineup. So, yeah. Um, from there, we just have a few minor signings aside from, you know, Vancouver obviously uh, re-upped with uh, Jake Vertanen, two-year deal uh, worth $5.1 million. Again, they avoid arbitration. He's a 24-year-old who had 36 points in 69 games last season, added another three in their 16 playoff games in the bubble. Um, over 279 regular season games so far in his career, he has 95 points, and last season was a career high for the young man. Um, so obviously a guy that they want to keep around. Uh, you know, and, I, and we've mentioned it on a few episodes here, Vancouver came out last season and really surprised everybody. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they had a successful year, and I think uh, 
you know, guys like Vertanen capitalized on that and and were able to, uh, you know, have career years. So I think for them, that's uh, that's a great, uh, great signing. Good, uh, good value um, at uh, just over uh, 2.5. So um, that, that'll be that'll be a good signing uh, in two years. And I think it's just a good bridge deal to see, you know, what Vertanen can bring for the next couple of years. And and once the cap goes up, obviously, he'll be a guy that looks to uh, kind of cash in on that. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, it's a good deal right now. Two point five million over two years. It's a prove me now kind of thing. But I think that's where you know the whole situation comes in, where it's like they expected a lot more from Vertanen because they picked him, you know, relatively high in the draft. I think they picked him before William Nylander um, in twenty fourteen, six overall. They had high hopes for him, and I guess he just really hasn't taken that next step. But now there's a situation right now where, you know, you got a prospect system where, you know, uh, you got Nils Hoglander, you got Vasily Podkolzin, who's, you know, starting to turn heads right now. Um, is Jake Vertanen going to be somewhat of a cap casualty? So that way, when he does come up or, you know, when a roster decision has to be made, is he going to still be done in a bottom six role when all these other guys are going to be in the top uh, top six role? So it's, it is a good value. Um, it's something that he can do to try and prove himself right now after, as you mentioned, a career high. It's just, again, it's somewhat of a disappointment considering his, um, his, his development as a prospect. And, I th- and I'm seeing that a lot, uh, especially with the Vancouver Canucks Twitter, where it's like, you know, you have all this money allocated to your bottom six where, you know, the bottom six, you know, isn't producing as much as you want them to. Yeah, and you know what? It, it wouldn't be a, a tough move. It's just, you know, south of the border if he uh, ends up in a Seattle uniform, you know, when the expansion draft takes over. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a possibility. Um, obviously, you mentioned it. I think, uh, you know, for, for the Canucks right now, they want to see what Vertanen can bring, uh, especially being such a high pick. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he can do over the next couple of seasons, especially with Vancouver growing the way they have, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, now's the time to do it. So now's the time to, to make yourself known as a, as a top six option, if that's what you want to be. Otherwise, you know, he could be a guy that, uh, you see kind of float around the league, uh, in a couple of years. And I think that was the expected goal, you know, top six power forward, you know, aggressive kind of player. It's just that production never amounted to anything. And and again, I know I probably said this before, but that's where, you know, the whole notion comes in. It's just like, you know what? You got to do better. Yeah, he did have a career year, but I mean, 36 points for a top 10 pick. Yeah, that's it's not something to be proud of. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And, you know, kind of talking about those bottom six players um the capitals also re-upped with jonas siegenthaler mm-hmm. uh one year eight hundred thousand, thirteen 13 points in 90 regular season games so far for the capitals after being drafted second round in 2015 um obviously a guy who wasn't there last year with them but uh a guy they they you know obviously still have faith in if they're gonna if they want to keep him around for some time so um, you know, one year, 800,000, let them know what you can do and, and, and kind of move on from there. Again, this is just a, 
uh, I think this is just a product of, of the cap being so flat this year in, in terms of there, there's no movement. Um, you got to keep around the, the, the players that you can afford. And uh, I think, you know, Siegenthaler for the, uh, for the capitals is, is an affordable asset. So I think that uh, for me, that's what it kind of comes down to. Yeah. And he has come into the lineup. He has proved that he can play the minutes. Um, Again, they're in a great situation right now. I mean, you really can't touch what they have right now, but adding someone like him to the mix, um, it just bolsters their, especially the left-hand side. They got good balance on both right and left. And, you know, to have him there, just they want to go the extra distance. They want to go for another cup. And it should something happen to one of, you know, their main their main guys, Let's say Brandon Dillon, Michael Kentley goes out with an injury. Siegenthaler could be inserted into the lineup, and he could still provide that, you know, stay-at-home presence, chip in offensively every now and then. And, you know, he's only 23. He's still young, and he looks pretty good out there. So good deal, good value, just bolsters their depth, kind of like what Edmonton did right now. But I'm, I really like this signing. Yeah, and uh, like you said, you know, he's a guy who's got NHL, NHL experience, albeit 90 games, but a uh, guy that can definitely step in if you have some injuries to start the year. And with such a condensed schedule, that is a possibility moving forward. So um, definitely a guy that you want to kind of have as, as a depth option. Um, and talking about depth options, obviously, the Calgary Flames liked what they saw in Vancouver last year, added, you know, uh, a couple of their former players, and now they're going to add another one in signing Josh Levo to a one-year $875,000 contract. Levo had six, has 65 points in 169 career regular season games. He had a career-high 19 points in 36 games last season. Again, another former Leaf. He was drafted third round by the Leafs in 2011, and uh, this will be his third team in his, his career. Um, just a guy that hasn't really caught on at the NHL level at this point. Yeah, and when he scored those five goals in 2015-2016, uh, everyone thought, okay, you know, Leafs have, you know, a legitimate, you know, middle six kind of guy. You know, second, third uh, line player, power forward, great speed. Didn't quite get his opportunity here. Goes over to Vancouver. Seems to have, you know, a bit more success than he did over here. But right now it's just... You know, no, again, no in Vancouver situation right now. They got a ton of forward depth. They felt that it was okay to let him go. And you know what? I think Calgary, they could use someone like him because he does have a really good shot, a really good speed. Um, Could line up on, again, that third line, uh, you know, wing option for them. And knowing how their top line guys in uh, Monaghan, Goudreau, and Kachuk, you know, really haven't clicked together. If you insert one of uh, him alongside any one of those players, maybe you could jumpstart him. Maybe he could jumpstart someone else. He could have a career year. I mean, he does have the speed to keep up with them. Will we get that opportunity? I don't know, but it's something to really consider, considering how, you know, they were jumbling up all the lines last year. Yeah, I, I mean... Calgary's always been an interesting team to me only because like they do have so much talent up front 
you know, you have Lindholm, you have Tuchuk, you have Goudreau, you have Monaghan. Mm-hmm. You have so many options, and just it seems to be an unbalanced scoring in that lineup. So, yeah, um, yeah, I just I think you know adding a guy like that could could help in your bottom six. Um, that said, I mean, this is a guy who's kind of floated around for such a long time now. Um, you know, we're talking 2011. So, you, you know, nine years he's been kind of up and down and, and in the AHL and, and playing some games in the NHL here and there. But, uh, you know, like you said, he's got the speed to keep up. He's got he's got a heck of a shot when he gets going. He That shot is just phenomenal. But it, it, it's going to come down to what he's willing to bring to the lineup and 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 if he's willing to to buy in and put the work in to to be uh, a legitimate piece to this Calgary lineup so um it'll be interesting to watch uh to see what they do but um you know again uh, for me it's a depth signing it's it's an affordable mm-hmm. asset right now and and you know it's an option for Calgary just moving forward to try and get them through the year until the cap uh you know jumps even slightly to to add some more assets but uh, again not a terrible signing uh you're getting low risk low reward so uh, i i think it's a good signing by them and and hopefully levo can uh put everything together and, and have a good good season for calgary i'm just looking at their depth right now on cap friendly and i'm just thinking how about a line of bennett manjapani and levo there yeah, is I a mean- good mix of you know size speed aggression skill that could just you know could possibly be a nightmare to handle yeah and and that's like we talked about that line in the in the playoffs and they were just they seemed to have a little bit extra fire in them mm-hmm. um you know bennett's got that lanny look and and kind of brings us back <laughs> to the uh to the 80s with uh with uh, the flames there so um, you know, definitely a guy that or, or a line that could could put some some uh, some offense together for for Calgary and give them that depth scoring. And like I said, that's what they need. That's what the Flames mm-hmm. have been missing is that depth scoring. They've got they've got two legitimate lines, and then it kind of falls off from there. So um, it'll be interesting. And, and you know, I kind of go back to something that Craig Berube mentioned when um, he guested on Spit and Chicklets recently. And he said that you know he's a four line guy and that's what wins uh, wins games and I mean yep. you're talking about a Stanley Cup winning coach now so um, you know at, at a certain point teams need to recognize that you know even the third and fourth lines they're valuable teams or, or sorry valuable lines and players and you know that's what you know you need to kind of get to to win games here and so it'll be interesting it'll be interesting keep everybody fresh and and, and get those depth guys in and and hopefully you know, for Calgary's sake, that they can take that next step and and kind of get over that hump. Yeah, case in point with Tampa. I mean, their top six was solidified. I mean, they didn't really have any injuries so where players can move up, and up into the lineup. But, you know, they had the depth. They had players that when they were called upon, they can play in that role. So something to consider with that as well. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, going on from there, another signing, not not a player per se, but um, Gary Roberts signed on with the Seattle Kraken as a consultant. Uh, he was hired as a sports and science and performance consultant. Um, Roberts obviously paid, played 21 seasons in the NHL, former Leaf, former Flame. We talked about both those teams already. Um, he owns Gary Roberts High Performance Center in Toronto, works with a ton of players in, at the NHL level. Um, and, uh, 
it was quoted that uh, he's he's coming in to provide the Kraken training center and team infrastructure with the proper equipment and systems in place to enable Kraken players to perform at their highest potential. So obviously, you know, you know, Seattle's not uh, not kidding around in terms of trying to come in and, and be a force right off the off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who's been around the game for for some time knows that Gary Roberts is uh, a guy that's often talked about when it comes to player performance and uh, you know just uh, overall health. Um, you know, he he's he's battled back from some some crazy injuries over his years in the league and. and uh, you know, to have a guy like that uh, added to your team, I think it's it's a great start for a team that uh, at this point in time don't have any players to work with. I'm going to be really scared. If we thought we were, you know, kind of like underestimating the Golden Knights, I'm going to be scared of what the Kraken are going to have on their hands if Gary Roberts is going to be training them. I mean, he's done such a fantastic job in getting players into shape um, performance-wise and conditioning, and now they have him on board. Oh man, they're going to be in a really good spot when, well, you know, once they get some players. But even uh, even so, I'm just looking at a quote that he said: "Training has evolved. We're seeing a lot more movement-based work now than when I played." He's staying with the times. He knows what to look for, and he knows how the players are playing right now. And he's going to train them for that level, for what this game is specifically right now. He sees the patterns in the shift in the game. And I think that's where Seattle is going with. They want someone to train them where as soon as they get the players, they want to keep them in game shape. They want to develop their prospects as well. This is just a really good signing for Seattle, man. Considering that it's not a player. I, I really love this. I don't think they could have gone wrong any other way by signing Roberts. No, I think, uh, you know, you look at this guy, he could, he could still play today if he wanted to step right oh, back yeah. on the ice and, and be a force. So um, definitely, definitely a guy that uh, will bring a lot to the team. And, uh, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to let anybody get away with anything. So it'll be, it'll be good oh, to no. see what, uh, what this team can bring to the ice once they get going. And if you, and I, I haven't sat in on like one of his training sessions or whatever, or like seen most of it, but I'm pretty sure if he's going to get the most out of all of them, if he sees someone like kind of slacking off, you know, Gary Roberts is going to go in and be like, Nope, you got to do this, 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 and this. He's a no nonsense guy. Um, he means business. He wants to do well for the players. And you know what? Again, I'm really scared for Seattle, man. I'm really scared of what, how, tr- how well trained they're going to be for performance wise and, f- uh, physical fitness. I'm just looking forward to see what players they could get during the expansion draft and how they're going to build a roster. Depending on who they get, it's going to be really scary, man. Yeah, and uh, another team that could use a lot of help uh, moving forward is the Chicago Blackhawks, who, you know, just it seems like just yesterday we were talking about this team as a possible modern-day dynasty. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, recently, you know, obviously players get older. Teams kind of dwindle a little bit. The cap obviously changes things uh, nowadays. Um, they released a letter to fans saying that, guys, be ready, manage your expectations because we want to develop our young players and uh, rebuild our roster. Um, we saw what the Leafs, uh, you know, five years ago hit rock bottom, starting to climb their way back up, have a lot of talent in the lineup. And that's not to say that the Blackhawks don't, but obviously a young squad with a lot of potential in their pipeline. This team is in a full rebuild. What does it mean for their veteran core? 
Well, it's your Taze, Kane, Keith. I mean, obviously, they're not going to go anywhere because I remember reading that they want to be part of, you know, obviously, they're not happy with how things are going. I mean, they let Corey Crawford walk. They traded away Brandon Saad for not a whole lot in return. If you would have had those players on, you still could have had a competitive team. But right now, you take out a potential 40, 50 point guy, you take out, you know, I'll bite an injured goalie that had a lot of uncertainty. He came back and he played well at certain points during the season. You don't have a goalie right now. You don't have possibly someone to step into the lineup to, you know, handle top six minutes. I mean, obviously, you could also look at, you know, Alex Debrinkit, but it's weird how this is a thing right now because just, you know, at the beginning of 29, 2010 was when they won their first championship. This was like for like what we are in during the cap era right now. This is a dynasty that's, you know, comparable to um, the Edmonton Oilers, the New York Islanders, you know, even the Detroit Red Wings in the early 90s and thousands. Today's game is difficult to win multiple championships and they managed to win three during the 2010s. And it's it's remarkable that right now they're already in a rebuild because they should have had prospects in the pipeline, you know couple years ago to handle or like be able to come into a situation they still went with the core that they had prospects didn't get the time to develop and i think that's what hurt them right now they got good young players in kirby doc and um you know dominic dominic kubalik had a fantastic rookie year adam bokefist is an up-and-comer it's they have some pieces even drafting lucas reichel and drew camiso for the future it's just it's going to be a long maybe three, four, maybe five years for them right now. And for Taze and Kane, they're paying you the big bucks. They are what they will possibly want you to stay for the long haul. And if they're up to it, great. But if they're not happy with the way management went about the situation, you could kind of see where they feel slighted. Yeah. And I, I just think, you know, you kind of mentioned it. Um, obviously, you know, Taze, Kane, um, Keith, even Seabrook. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking about big contracts, and you know, we talk about the Boston model and the and the way the Bruins handle it, and, and they they look for team friendly deals so that they can continue to keep that core together. And I think that's just what we're seeing in Chicago. You know, we're seeing the complete opposite. We're seeing where you know you had two guys take major deals, and and I think that's what you're going to see in Toronto eventually as well. Is mm-hmm. you got guys taking major major deals um eating up a lot of cap and and you know nobody could have predicted that the cap was going to stay stagnant uh, this season no. but you know now you're talking about you know what can you do and i think that's where the affordability with with sod comes in um mm-hmm. you know bringing back crawford might not have been the best option for them and you know i i think even if they want to be moved in the in the next four to five years because of how long this rebuild might take um, you know, it's going to be tough for the the team to move them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, teams are obviously going to commit to, um, you know, their own contracts and they've got their own RFAs and, and UFAs that are going to be coming up in the next couple of seasons. And with the cap, not, not really budging a lot over the next couple of years, I'm sure, um, it, it's going to be tough to move those kind of contracts. So it'll be interesting to watch, to see, I, I mean, obviously right now they're saying all the right things and they want to be a part of this rebuild, but 
I mean, you're talking about a team that's going into next season with two goalies in Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia. Yeah, um, those, I those, have, there's no confidence. No, and that and that's your goalie tandem right there. And if if your team playing in front of you has no confidence, I mean, we've seen what happens in Toronto. We've seen mm-hmm. when you're playing in front of a goaltender that you don't have confidence in, and it's not a pretty sight. Yeah. So, and that's not, this isn't a shot against like Malcolm Subban or Colin Delia. It's just they they're Malcolm Subban is an NHL goalie. Is he a starter though? You've seen him come in at times where he can't handle the workload, but let's face it, he was on a Vegas Golden Knights team that almost won the Stanley Cup behind Marc Andre Fleury for a couple of years. He was capable of that. Now you're being thrusted as a starter. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, 26, maybe he can come in and, you know, surprise everybody. We don't know, but it would have been nice if he would have learned more like Corey Crawford. You got no veteran to help you in the crease right now. Yeah, and uh, you know they're gonna live and die by the sword in in net. I think uh, obviously if if one does well, um, you know it's great for the team. That said, if if uh, you know they don't do well, I mean you're you're kind of you're looking at a at a lottery pick. So mm-hmm. um, looking it, at it'll, a couple of lottery picks and yeah. Next 2021 is no slouch. 2022, 2023 is probably going to be no slouch. So, hey, and also just going to throw this out there. 10.5, three years for both Taze and Kane. Yeah. You could probably find a suitor where they could take on Kane's contract, but you may have to retain salary in Taze. I don't know. You could probably trade both, maybe try and lessen the asking price as well. But for all the uh you know, the championships that they won together, it's going to be difficult to try and move those, definitely. Yeah, and it just, like like you said, it's good, it, it makes it hard on a team when you've got those kind of contracts in the lineup as well. Um, obviously, you can't bring in the talent that you want to bring in, but, um, you know, you got to think, too, you've got, you've got Seabrook signed for 6.875 until t- the end of 2023-24. You've got him for another four seasons at close to $7 million. Um, You know, Keith at five and a half for another three seasons. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you've locked yourself up for, for quite some time, and, and that's where you're going to have to rely on. Like, right now they're having trouble signing Dylan Strom, who's an RFA for them. Yeah. Who had a decent, decent, uh, you know, run with them over the last year and a half. So, I mean, even... Look at a guy like Alex DeBrincat. They've already given him six. They've already committed six point four million to Alex DeBrincat over three three more seasons, and he's a guy who, you know, what last year I think took a step back in 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 what he was yeah. able to do. I mean, after you score forty one goals and seventy six points, yeah, that is a major step back. I mean, that's a major regression right there. Um, yeah, I don't. Some of their decisions at the time, the contract made sense because who thought that maybe he would take a step back? It's just right now you you took a gamble, and now that's probably one gamble that isn't working in your favor. Well, it makes you kind of question, you know, Stan Bowman's uh, decision making at this point. Mm-hmm. And you know, this was a team that was getting a lot from having Joel Quenneville behind the bench, and all of a sudden Joel's gone, and the team just is not the same. So, yeah, was the coach really the issue? Yeah, and that, and that's the main thing, too. I mean, I highly doubt that Joel Quenville was the issue. I mean, you look at his record, you look at his pedigree, 
there's nothing to complain about. I think they really okay. The Hawks were struggling with Quenville behind the bench, but Quenville wasn't at fault. I mean, obviously, when the players aren't playing, who's the guy that's going to go? It's obviously the coach, and it's sad to see that. But I think it was a mistake to let him go. You could look, you could tell when the firing happened that the roster wasn't nearly as good as it was when they won championships. So this is a situation where it was kind of more on management than it was the coach, and that's a rare situation to see. Yeah, no, 100%. And, um, you know, obviously from the dark days in Chicago to a tournament we love to talk about north of the border, uh, mm-hmm. the World Junior schedule was released uh, for the 2021 uh, World Juniors. Obviously, opening Christmas Day for the first time in a number of years. Uh, it'll open with three games um, on, on the 25th of December, and the tournament will run through to January 5th. Uh, it will take place in the Edmonton bubble, as we talked about previously on this show. Um, and Canada will be in Group A after winning the gold last year. Uh, they will be in Group A with Finland, Switzerland, Slovakia, and Germany. Quarterfinals will start January 2nd. I am looking forward to this because this means that we get to see some hockey. We get to see some of the you know the young talent in our game. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, even if it is in front in front of no fans, I think it's a great opportunity for for these kids to get back on the ice and and play some some you know um, important hockey uh, for for their careers and and for you know their nations. Yeah, um, obviously it's a different schedule than what we're used to. Obviously, they're bumping up one day ahead on Christmas Day. It it looks like they're doing three games, three, three, and three, as opposed to like four games in one day. Because, you know, um, with the pandemic going on, they have to have time kind of like in the NHL bubble. You got to have time to like clean each dressing room, go through all the testing, all the protocols. They have that in place. So I'm happy that this is going to happen. I'm glad that they're going through with it. I'm glad that, you know, it's in a safe environment where, you know, not necessarily a safe environment, but it what the NHL did shows that a bubble system can work. Yeah, like you no, said, I'm just really curious with the rosters right now. The roster situation is something that I'm looking forward to and you could possibly see Alexi Lafreniere in a Canada jersey. You could possibly see Nick Robertson lighted up for Team USA. This is this could be a year where teams actually have an opportunity to stack up their rosters and go all the way to win the gold. Yeah, I think this could be this could be probably one of the most stacked uh, tournaments that we've seen in a long time. Um, you know, like you said, there's there's guys at the NHL level that still qualify for for this tournament, and mm-hmm. uh, with with the NHL possibly not uh, starting up until you know early January, and that's just training camps. You know, teams might look to get their players into some you know quality hockey games, and and this would be the best option for them. So, um, yeah, I, I I'm excited to see what uh, what happens here. Um, you know, obviously some of the younger guys on each each team will will lose out on an opportunity to play for their, for their country. But that being said, uh, from a fan standpoint, this could be one of the best tournaments we've ever seen. And this could be very competitive too. Cause I mean, look at Germany, Germany has, you know, Tim Stutzla, they got JJ Petreka, they got Lucas Reichel, they got more cider. They're a team that should not be taken lightly. You, all these teams right now are going to put together the best possible product 
And I'm, not to say that I always look forward to the New Year's Eve game, but the New Year's Eve game for Canada versus Finland, Lee Sands, take note, we got possibly possibly four prospects from Finland vying for a spot on Team Finland. You got Topi Niemela, you got Rani Hirvonen, um, you got Miko Kokkonen. They're some they're possibly one of our three of our, you know, I'm not going to say top 10, but three of our top 15 prospects right now. So they're going to be interesting to watch right now. Yeah, at that point, Leaf fans, are you cheering for Canada or are you cheering for uh, Team Finland? Or even Russia, for that matter, because there's still a bit. Uh, Mikhail Abramov, there's Rotorak Tiyamov possibly vying for a spot. So you got your choices, Leaf fans. Canada, Finland, Russia. Who are you going to pick? Oh, even U.S. because you still got Nick Robertson. So pick pick your favorite player. Pick your favorite team. I honestly, it's still a fun tournament to watch, no matter who's in, who's out. I just I I love like you, like everybody else. This tournament is very synonymous with us because during the holidays, it's always it's something that we always look forward to. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and. Um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, some of the young players in the game, um, before we get into our leaf talk and, and before we, we head over to our guest, which, uh, you know, is going to be a good one. Um, I want to talk Very. about two young players that are just tearing it up overseas right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 15 year old Connor Bedard, who's a, yep. uh, uh, you know, exceptional status in the WHL, 15-year-old. Uh, he's playing for HV71, uh, like the under-20 team. Um, he has a goal and an assist in two games with the team. His goal, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It was an absolute snipe. Uh, and and on the other side of things, Matvey Michkov, who's a 15-year-old. He's going to be 16 on December 9th. Um, he's playing for SKA 1946 St. Petersburg in, in the MHL. He has 11 goals and 19 points in 14 games. And again, a 15-year-old playing with, you know, men right now. Um, yeah. Just uh, unbelievable. And, and, you know, you can you can head over, you can go onto Twitter and you can just search them. And people are just loading up videos. All all the all the analysts out there, all the all the draft uh, gurus, all the guys that are just love to push all these prospects on you. They're all posting videos of these two, and uh, man, I just just so excited for when these two can, uh, you know, make a jump to the NHL. Because man, it's going to be unbelievable to watch. Cam Robinson from Dauber posted a really good two-minute compilation of both Mitchkov and uh, Bedard, and man, are those clips absolutely filthy! Like we thought that, you know. We had a great rivalry with Crosby and Ovechkin. This could be something better than that. This could be Crosby and OV 2.0. This could be Bed versus Mitch. This literally the top two prospects going to battle it out for the 2023 draft. And there is one clip. I mean, Mitchkov has produced some amazing goals. But one clip in that video that Cam posted, Connor is doing sort of like backwards uh, skating, edge work cross cuts. Um, he's stick handling the puck at such a fast pace, doesn't lose control of it, goes in at top speed, just drives to the net, and he roofs it past the goalie. I, The only 15-year-old that I think can do something like that was Connor. And now we got another Connor 
doing what McDavid does. And this is absolutely phenomenal and it's exciting. And in two more years or three, four more years, sorry, when you see these players in the NHL, it's going to be a, like what the player, where we, what the NHL has in terms of skill right now, it's only going to get better. And I'm looking forward to it because, you know, if you have an international tournament, you're going to have a stacked team Canada. You're going to have Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard possibly on a team, maybe in the near future. You're going to have Mathe Michkov playing alongside with some great Russian uh, players, maybe even Ovi if he's still playing. We don't know. This is something I'm really looking forward to, just like you, man. It's really amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I would have been remiss if we hadn't brought that up. And and uh, it, even, you know, just kind of leading off of that for one more second here, um, we, we talked about, uh, you know, our draft gurus on on, uh, on Twitter and everything. Mm-hmm. Obviously, friend of the show, Josh Bell, we have to yeah. mention, you know, stepped away from the hockey writers to, to you know, pursue a, a bigger role with uh, – the future considerations, FC hockey, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just want to wish him the best. Obviously we're going to try and get him back on here um, moving forward, but uh hell of a follow. If you guys haven't followed him yet on Twitter, uh, yes. I, I want to date back to uh, one of our episodes where we had him on, I believe it was episode seven. Um, so mm-hmm. if you haven't checked that one out already, uh, definitely go and take a look. This guy knows his stuff when it comes to prospects and, and the game. And uh, you know, you know, obviously we're we're sad to lose him at the Hockey Raiders, but uh, still a guy that uh, we call a friend, and and hopefully, um, you know, we can get him back on soon. Yeah, absolutely. I was I remember when I first started off. Um, I mentioned this on Twitter. I Josh was one of the first people that you know I came in contact with. Very welcoming, very friendly, very nice guy. I'm really happy for him. Um, nothing but the best because he just provides excellent content nonstop, and the way that he uh sort of managed this year's draft guide he went above and beyond and that was absolutely amazing and you know what fc fc hockey signed a really great writer so i wish him nothing but the best i i mean it's a really great opportunity for him and he's going to have a really successful career i guarantee it yeah and now uh obviously we want to get you guys to our toronto hockey talk our maple leafs uh you know, another busy week for them. Um, getting down to their RFA signings, they had a few more people they need to lock up for the upcoming season, and uh, they did so with, um, you know, Mikheyev. They they signed the Soupman is back. Avoid arbitration, two year deal worth three point two nine million. Uh, average annual value of one point six four five million. So. Just over that one and a half million mark, um, you know, 23 points in 39 regular season games in his rookie season. Obviously, a scary injury that ended his mm-hmm. year, but uh, you know, guy bring, you know, uh, Mikhaev brings a lot of um, speed and and, and uh, offensive output to the team. I think it's a great signing. Um, didn't didn't give too much. It's kind of a, one of those prove me two year bridge deals, and I love it. I think it's a great deal to bring him back. Two more years of soup. I mean, you can't. This is like this guy's a keeper, man. I mean, you can't say anything bad about how he played the game this year. He just excelled and just went above and beyond. And as you mentioned, he missed uh, majority of the season with a wrist laceration. 
he still managed to finish 12th in points among rookies with 23. If you were to do that at an 82 game pace, he probably would have finished with 48 points. And that I got that from a, a good uh, source called uh, Dauber Frozen Tools, where they have, you know, uh, 82 game paces, line combinations, percentages, everything like that. If you haven't checked that out, go and check it out. I highly recommend that. Um, obviously, if other players would have produced at the same rate that McKay was, McKay could have possibly finished in the five to 10 range among rookies with that number. And if he didn't, he would have asked for way more than 1.6. And obviously he took less money knowing that the Leafs contract situation to stay here. So, you know, he's a team player. And honestly, the fact that he could be in a top six role, which is very possible, that's amazing value. Yeah. And, and we'll get to like whereabouts we see him in the lineup in just a moment. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about who's on the outside looking in. But mm-hmm. um, the Leafs also signed defenseman Travis Dermott uh, to a one year bridge deal. just over $874. You know, the 23-year-old had 11 points in 56 games last season, 41 points in 157 regular season games overall. He was drafted in the second round in 2015 by the Leafs, and going into his fourth season, he had a career-high 17 points in 2018-19. So, um, obviously, you know, this was more of like a cap crunch, trying to find a way to fit him into the the cap. and, uh, you know, I don't mind the deal. Like I said, I, I've kind of hated on, on uh, Dermot a little bit for his play last season. I, I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he's a guy that could mm-hmm. add a lot of value to the lineup. I think we need to see more from him. Yeah. Um, and, and personally, I just I don't know if he's going to be one of those guys that we see in the lineup um, moving forward, especially with the, the offseason signings of Brody and, and the, the rise of, of Miko uh, Lettinen. Um, I think Dermot could be the guy that's the odd man out, but you know, regardless, this is, is a deal that, uh, you know, could be moved easily if need be. Um, but it's also a chance for Dermot to come in and, and prove himself. If he thinks he, re- he belongs in Toronto and wants to stay in Toronto, this is his opportunity to kind of say, Hey, don't count me out yet. Um, I, I've still got a lot in the tank and, and uh, you know, I'm going to show you what I can do. Yeah, I honestly kind of thought he would have commanded like the same amount of money as Mikheyev, but just under 875000 or basically over league minimum, that's a good contract for one year. And like you said, I mean, coming in, Dermot didn't have the best year. Chalk it up to, you know, playing sheltered minutes, not giving him the opportunity that he wanted. But when he played in the playoffs, when... Jake Muzzin went out and he was paired up with Justin Hall. I saw another gear to him. Like he was determined to prove his worth. And obviously that was only a three game, three game stint where, you know, it was a short playing series, but he played relatively well and he handled those top four minutes better than expected. And initially like you, I thought of Dermot as an outside looking in player when they haven't signed him. And when there were talks about possibly getting, you know, another defenseman through trade, Mackenzie Weger, all those rumors started swirling. In order to get that player in return, you would probably have to give some, up someone like Dermot, who still has a lot of promise. But uh, like you said, he is betting on himself, and he had a down year, but he is determined right now. And uh, Kristen Shilton posted a comment yesterday um, on securing a spot. 
um, on Twitter. Kiefer knows how I play when I'm at my best. So I think that's what they expect from me. Anything less than these are anything less than these are guys biting at my heels to get in and steal my job. My job is to come in and play my game and do exactly what they want. That's a guy with that sounds like a top four mentality right now. Like he's not going to let someone come into the lineup and take his spot that he's worked hard for. And he's going to prove it right now. And the fact that he's going to be playing on the right-hand side, possibly, as Dubas has alluded to previously before, I kind of want to see what he could do with Jake Muzzin. I really think that that would be a really good pairing if he stays in the lineup. Yeah, and, and I, like I said, I think it's going to come down to, you know, obviously Bogosian's not going to be in there for 82 games. Oh, um, no. He's a guy that uh, they sign more as a, as a depth guy. Uh, it'll come down to seeing what, you know, obviously Dermot's going to have the edge over Sandine and Lilligren, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you know what does what does uh, Lettinen do? And and right now Lettinen's tearing it up overseas, and and uh, you know he's a guy that could potentially steal a spot. Um, and then you're talking about Riley Lettinen, um, Muzzin, uh, you know Justin Hall could be the odd man out. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, there is potential for Dermot to get into the lineup and I think it's going to come down to, he kind of holds his own cards at this point. It's going to come down to see what he can do. And, uh, if he earns his spot in the lineup. Yeah. You mentioned Dermot as your bubble player and you just mentioned mine, Justin Hall. He is my biggest bubble player at this moment out of the whole entire, uh, team forwards, everything. Um, there were times where he played like a top 4D and other times where he didn't. With that contract, it just makes Dermot more appealing than Hall at $2 million to insert into the lineup. I mean, and if he does move down, because I have Riley Brody, Muzzin Dermot, Sandine Lettinen. $2 million for a 7th D-man. You could possibly try and trade him on the way out. I mean, you want as much depth as possible, but $2 million for someone to just, you know, sit in the press box most of the time, I don't know if that's going to work out. I think he could be dealt. He, I think he is an odd man out during this whole thing. So yeah, I think uh, the Leafs have a lot of decisions to make, and you, you and I have talked about in previous episodes where, you know, um, obviously with the signing of like, uh, you know, Simmons coming in, VC coming in, Thornton, um, you know, Boyd, Joey Anderson, um, you know, obviously they've got a lot of decisions to make up front and yeah, a lot of space uh, on the roster. And, and when it comes down to it, um, I think you're going to see Joey Anderson be an AHL player. Um, I, th- I think, uh, you know, he's, he's still young. He's still got a lot to prove. Um, I think even Boyd could be a, a potential guy that moves down. But, uh, you know, then then you're talking about a guy like Pierre Engvall. Um, you know, is he in the lineup next year? Nick Robertson. There's a guy that should be in the lineup next year. Yeah. Um, so much to, to consider going into this year. Uh, and, and far too many bubble players in terms of, uh, of, you know, what the Leafs have in terms of space in their lineup. So, uh, you know, I think it's worth noting, like, They've done a great job in terms of reallocating their cap, um, but now you're talking about too many players and not enough space. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, in the end, I think the the biggest question is: Are the Leafs better this year? And I, you know, I I, I do think they are. Um, you know, uh, you know, Sportsnet's Chris Johnson uh, posted something to Twitter where he was looking at the cap re- reallocation. 
And for the money that they had spent uh, um, on Janssen and Kapanen, uh, they spent mm-hmm. $450,000 less to bring in or to re-sign Mikheyev, sign Simmons, sign VC, sign Thornton, and re-sign Spezza and bring in Boyd. Um, on top of that, on the blue line, they brought in Brody and Bogosian and Lettinen for $300,000 less than what they were paying CC and Barry. And then they also gave Dermot a $10,000 raise. Um, I think, like I said, I think it's going to come down. There's a lot of decisions to make for this team. Are they better for what they've done this offseason? 100%. Are they able to fit their guys that they want on this roster and put out the best possible roster? That's going to take some time to decide, you know, who kind of fits into what role. Yeah, and you just mentioned it right there. They saved money both at forwards and uh, on defense. I mean, and face it, Janssen, yeah, he was injured all year. But even when he was healthy, I just didn't like the way he was playing. I thought that he was just way too out of position too many times, fanning on shots. He just wasn't in the right spot at the right time like he was the year before. Kapanen wasn't that great. The same same situation. He was there for most games, but then off for like another four or five. And his he was just really inconsistent. And the, and the defense needed a major overhaul. And again, looking at those numbers, looking at who they brought in, those are major upgrades. Yeah, you could say that, you know, they lost some speed, but the compete level is there. You still have a 41-year-old Joe Thornton who's still, you know, putting up points with uh, over in Switzerland. You still have a Wayne Simmons who probably was probably dealing with injuries. He's going to be healthy right now. Jason Spezza, you know, was probably one of the better depth forwards that we had all season last year. They have made the right moves. It's right now translating it onto the ice on ice prospect. And again, so many variables can happen. So many players could come in. There could be a lot of surprises. I mean, you may think that Pierre Engvall may make the roster. Yeah, well, think again. There's so much depth right now that he could be on the outside looking in right now. He's fighting for a spot. And as you mentioned with CeCe and Barry, looking at this defense right now, it's more balanced. That was the whole key for this team's blue line. Finding balance, finding two-way players, finding guys with the right mix of offense and defense, and you have that. Yeah, no, 100%. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the blue line kind of going into this offseason. And that was where, that was the key to, to trying to make this team better. And I think, you know, if you look at it where it is now, you're, you're definitely seeing a, a better product in terms of what the what the Leafs have on the back end. So, um, yeah, I, I think moving forward, this team is is a team to watch out for. And, and it's going to come down to just making those those right decisions. And you know, the, the, the best part about it is that none of the contracts you sign this offseason are are terrible contracts yeah. that are not movable. Because um, let's face it, if there's a situation where, you know, they did sign Alex Petrangelo, you wouldn't have the cheap depth signings that we would have right now. You would have all that money allocated to one player. He divvied it up very well. Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think you're spot on and, uh, 
you know, obviously you mentioned Joe Thornton put up another goal and, and an assist over with HC Davos uh, in the Swiss Swiss League. Um, you know, that's three points in two games on big ice surface. Man, I am excited to see this guy wear some blue and white. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, this. I, I let's just get the puck uh, puck dropped yeah. on this season because this is, you know, we need, to, we need to see what this Leafs, Leafs team is all about. Since when did Joe Thornton become our top prospect? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> um, with that, Peter, I want to send it over to um, the Ultimate Leaf fan. Um, you know, if you haven't heard of him, look him up. He's got two books. He went to every game um, a couple of years ago with the Leafs, traveled to each uh, road game, went to every playoff game. Um, you got to check this guy out. He's he's unbelievable. His name is Mike Wilson. He's He's phenomenal. I just want to send it over to him right now. I'm very happy to uh, introduce our next guest, uh, Ultimate Leaf fan, Mike Wilson, uh, author of Inside the Room with the Ultimate Leaf fan, The Ultimate Road Trip, um, Leaf historian and collector, um, also a host of the the new podcast, Squid and Ultimate Leaf fan. Uh, Mike, you went to 89 games in 2018-19. Tell us what that was like. Well, guys, first off, thanks for having me today. it was just one of those trips that was just absolutely incredible. I, I expected a lot and got even more. And the thing about it is Leaf fans are just so passionate about following this hockey club and what the team means to families and what it means to people individually. It just came through loud and clear. I had a bit of an idea before I went on the trip because, because we've been very fortunate, Deb and I, to host a lot of events at our home, using the collection for a lot of fundraising and charitable events. People and as we got known throughout the hockey world, people started reaching out on it, would reach out on a daily basis, asking me questions, offering me things, telling me their own stories, and so on. And I knew there was a real passionate following. But when we decided to go on this endeavor to take the journey to follow the team, to find out what it was, I mean, the, the whole objective to it was to find out what it is about this team that people are so passionate about, and the team hasn't won in over fifty years, and. What I found was, like, what this, as I've just said before already, what this team really means to families, it's it's not about the wins and losses. It was more about the bonding that, you know, I guess my little bit of historical twist on this is going back to the 30s when Foster Hewitt first started broadcasting the games across the country. Uh, anywhere west of Ontario, the only game they would get would be the Toronto Maple Leaf game. And unlike the New York Yankees or any of the baseball teams that are around in those times, all those other teams like Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, they had their own radio broadcasts. But in Canada, it was Montreal and Toronto. And as I said, anybody out west, all they got was Canada. In Canada, they got the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, because we were in the middle of a, a Great Depression, the country was crippled economically and people weren't working, the only form of entertainment was the radio, which was in its infancy stages still. So that became it. And as time went on, people, you know, they would gather around the radio, sit as families and listen. Foster Hewitt's broadcast went to our troops overseas during the war. And grandfathers would tell their grandchildren, their sons, their daughters, anybody related to family, what they meant to them, kept, kept our troops alive. I visited Sunnybrook Hospital where the veterans were and talked to them. And some of those guys are still around. And they talk about those broadcasts and what they meant to them and how they inspired them and kept them basically alive. So all those things combined just came oozing out of people as I met them going across the country and throughout the United States and 
So that it became people were telling me stories. They were laughing. They were crying. They were yelling with joy. They were very excited to tell their story. And it just was so overwhelming at times and very emotional that uh, it was just something I just, I, I, I was going to say I couldn't put into words, but I tried to with my book, The Ultimate Road Trip. Mike, what, 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 what was the decision behind going on this road trip? Like, what led you to that decision? Just being like, hey, you know what? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go through with it. What was the, like, was there a conversation that happened beforehand? Yes. Uh, a few years ago, when I was still working, Deb and I talked about this because there was at some point there would have to be a succession plan with the collection because, you know, I was getting on. I'm 66 now at the time. I was in my early 60s. And, you know, eventually... It has to move on. and But I thought, you know, I think I still have more work to do as far as this all goes because I, I like to don't think of myself as a collector. I think of myself as a preserver of history. And I'm just fortunate enough to have a lot of these artifacts. And what I feel is I'm the gatekeeper to the items. And what I try to do is pass the stories along to fellow collectors and to fellow Leaf Nations and people and hockey fans or sports fans in general because everybody can kind of relate. And what I like to think of is each piece has tentacles of, of a, a piece of memorabilia. And the tentacles add stories. And the stories just fester on themselves and continue on. Because you can take one small item and you can take ten stories off it that people may just look at or view differently or have some sort of connection to it. So after all of that, and as I said to you earlier, with all the people reaching out to us, I thought, there's got to be another leg to this. And the leg to it is I've spent most of my life collecting these pieces researching it, now finding out what they really mean. What I need to do is I need to find out what it is about this team that's so embedded in people's DNA and the fabric of what you know people think of this hockey team throughout Canada, throughout the National Hockey League. So what better way than to go and see them personally, go right to every game, meet the fans, talk to them, and engage with them. And I got the idea from a friend of mine who went to Notre Dame University, which is another one of my teams, but not quite like the Leafs. But, um, <laughs> They, he graduated in 1977 here, but he hasn't missed a game since. Now, it's a little different with college football because they get their schedules five years in advance and he could plan to go to all these places and they get discounts and all that. So I just thought, well, that'd be a cool idea to do with the Leafs. And Deb and I talked about it, that's my wife, and you know, I thought during the centennial year, we thought of doing it. I actually even approached the Leafs about it and they loved the idea. And we're talking about maybe doing a bit of a caravan or something that would travel along with me. or, But, you know, I, that work thing got in the way, so I never really, you know, gave it much thought after that. But I always kept it in the back of my mind that I would do it one day. And then in March of 18, 2018, Deb and I were in Florida. We're walking around. I'd just been retired for a few months. I thought, you know what? Or a couple of years now, actually. And I said, you know what? There's no better time than that. I should just do that just, just next year. Let's. And I thought I'd get a little pushback. And she said, nope, you're right. Let's. Let's get on it. And we went right back that day, started planning. The schedule came on June 24th, and within less than two weeks, it was all planned. And what we decided to do is we didn't want to make this a Gucci trip where, <laughs> you know, it, it gets some guy going around and sitting in the real good seats and all that kind of stuff. No, no. This, this, I wanted to make this a trip that, as a fan, I made sure I sat in the second last row of every away arena. Uh, we took the cheapest form. We used points. We used, uh, you, you know, discounts. I took a couple different flights. I drove. I took trains. And I wanted to record it because what I wanted to do is I wanted to, I, I thought if this worked, I wanted to inspire other people to do the same thing. And I think at the end of it, 
the people I met on the road, you wouldn't believe the amount of people that I met who were trying to do similar type things, like trying to see the Maple Leafs play in every arena, going to different rinks every year, just going to see the Leafs play at some point, maybe tying a football game or a baseball game in along with it. I, I met hundreds of people like that, and it was just phenomenal. So, you know, putting it all together, I, 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 you know, the Toronto Sun, I talked to Lance Hornby about the possibility of documenting this and keeping a, a ledger for it. I was just going to do it myself and keep it and pass it off to people and maybe write a blog. He suggested maybe the Toronto Sun be interested in doing a story on a weekly basis where I document and keep it. And then, then all of a sudden a, a book opportunity came along to, to document it. And what I really want to do is just document everything, record people and share them with Leaf Nations and have people share the stories with me. And we just, just engage and just do what people do like this and just tell stories to each other. And it just sort of blossomed from there, and here we are today. Yeah, Mike, I followed along uh, while you're doing the trip, and and just one of the one of the things that really stood out for me was, you know, you just kind of interacting with the with the fans and, and posting their photos to your Instagram page, and, and just kind of recognizing that you know this is a movement rather than just you know sort of a fan base. Um, yes. You know, I I've been fortunate to to meet you and, and, and interact with you, and um, you know. What was was there one maybe arena that stood out to you where that you know you saw maybe more Leaf fans than you expected, um, or, or or one that maybe just the the overall aura of that arena kind of stood out to you? Well, that's a very tough question because <laughs> here's the thing, I, and I'm not going to skate around it, but it, the way I look at it is, once you step through that gate and the buzzer goes up that your ticket is good, I, I was relieved in the in the excitement, the buzz the smell of the arenas, the smell around the rink, the buzz of people walking around the rink, it got me excited for every rink. And, and any fan will appreciate that because they'll go through the same thing. But when you go into a place like Columbus, and what I would do is I had a routine where I, had, I would circle the outside of the building once or twice, taught, depending on the, if the Leafs are winning or losing. Um, I, I would then you know, interview people at the front, record it, record the front of the building, do a little video montage for myself. Then I'd go inside, I'd walk, I'd check in, I'd try to go in, uh, you know, early enough. To, I'd walk the bottom level three or four times, again, depending if the Leafs were on a winning streak or losing streak, there'd be three or four times. And I would stop and talk to people, record them all, and I would stick my head in to watch the warm-up, just to see how the Leafs were looking, just to see the, the sort of group of uh, Leaf fans over there. And I'd always try to pick a spot where we'd meet between periods so they could come and meet me, and Deb would be working social media back here, which I'll get to in a second. But when you walk into a place like Columbus and you take a look down as the warm-up's going on and the people are, like they're 15 rows deep of Leaf fans from the red line around the horseshoe of the Leaf end and it's all blue and white, you don't expect to see that in Columbus, even though it's not that far. I mean, it's a five, six-hour drive. But you see that. You go to, I go into L.A. and you go to Staples Center and they got sections blocked off of all you see is blue and white sweaters. You, you see this in, in every rink, there was groups and, and just sort of big, huge formations of Maple Leafs fans. All the Canadian cities, you would expect it. Buffalo, you'd expect it. Detroit, you would expect it. Montreal, you'd expect it. But when you go into some of these places, and they, uh, Washington has a Toronto Maple Leaf, uh, as a Canadian club, they have a Toronto Maple Leaf club. They have, uh, in, in San Jose, they have a Toronto Maple Leaf club where they, they get together and they, go to the, they, they form and they go. And in Vancouver, they have a bar the Regal Beagle, that's an only, Maple Leaf only 
fans bar and they all go and gather there. A guy started this nine years ago. So you see these little pockets all around the NHL and it really, really stands out. And as you talk to players and coaches and uh, any exec, I try to talk to a variety of all kinds of different people to get their view on it. They, they, were, they were telling me the same type of stories that went on forever. The only, t- the only rink that it wasn't was Long Island the first time in John Tavares' return trip. There was very few Leaf sweaters that night because they kept their tickets just to go and jeer him and boom and scream at him, mm-hmm. which was actually something I'd never seen before and it was unbelievable. But uh, every rink, so I would pick, there was probably, you know, you go on the West Coast and you see it. It's just every rink there was Maple Leaf sweaters, and but Columbus is one that stuck stood out stood out for me. Mike, just a quick question. Um, you mentioned about like how every single team has like you know their own sections uh, set off for like Maple Leaf fans. Is that something that you would have expected heading into watching all these games? Well, I, I don't know if they uh, do it like that, or the, the, these groups just come in in buses, like in Pittsburgh. The weekend I was there, what they do smartly in that city, and they do it in a couple of places, they have youth hockey tournaments. So what it does is it draws the teams from Canada to come there, and the Pens are playing. They just happen to be playing the Leafs. And I saw at least three or four buses out the front of the rink when I was going in. They're just piling in. But I would say that most of the cities expect, and I talk to security guards, ushers, all these type of people, and and they, they say when Toronto comes in, there is a definite notice. My buddy told me in Dallas, when Nortel was there and they employed 50,000 people, what they do is the Canadian group would get together. A lot of expat groups I found around, uh, around the NHL in all the different cities, just not for the hockey, but the hockey was one of the events. They'd celebrate Christmas, Thanksgiving, all Canadian holidays together with expats. And this was in basically every city, but hockey was a big draw. And they, always, they go to all the Canadian teams when they come in, but the Leafs are by far the biggest. And my buddy told me in Dallas, every time, even when the Leafs were bad, uh, they would just, it would be sold out instantly. And they would get, they'd go in a big en masse group and just, it'd just be one wild party. Because the night I went, it just was absolutely awful. He was embarrassed about how bad, bad the Dallas, Dallas game was. That was the, uh, that was, I think, that was the fourth game of the season. That was their second road game. And uh, it was just, I said, oh my God, what's happened to this team? And here they are in the Stanley Cup final a couple years later. Um, Mike, like, as I mentioned, uh, you know, obviously I've, I've been fortunate to see the collection and, uh, kind of jumping from the road trip to your collection. Yeah. You know, I was trying to explain to Peter here what it was like, you know, heading into the basement and just seeing this unreal, um, you know, almost hall of fame like display. Um, what, what drove you to put kind of that display in the wall units uh where where it was almost as if you were walking into the hockey hall of fame well it's it's been a life flying passion for me to have a room where i could just have my stuff on display have a bar have some tvs and have my friends come and watch sports and stuff like that i, I never in a, in a thousand years thought that it would get the notoriety that it did and become what it has become because it's funny when you're growing up and you're you know you're doing all these things. I used to just do it on the quiet, and you'd go. You know, when my friends started here, I'll give you an example. When my friends started to have children. You know, you'd always buy them a gift, something like a 
I'd buy them something, but I'd also buy them like up some baseball cards or hockey cards or an autograph of some guy or something to give to the young child, whether it was a boy or a girl. And, you know, it'd be almost funny because they would look at you and think, oh, geez, that's really nice for us. That's a nice present. But, you know, couldn't you got him a Fisher Price toy or something instead? <laughs> you know, they went to a rookie card. So I didn't think anybody really cared. And I, I just wanted to have my own room set up possibly the way I really wanted to have it. I wanted to do it as elegantly as I could because it was going to be my final probably stop, my final house, which it was. And we, Deb and I, Deb bought in. She was a bit of a collector herself because we collect some rock music too. And we looked at, we looked in museums. They gave me a good excuse to go to a lot of bars and look at, <laughs> look at the layouts of around all different areas. And we just, we brought a designer in. I took him down to the Hockey Hall of Fame and I said, I want it to look like this. And we came up with a different plan. So it went back and forth for a long time. And it just sort of evolved into that. And we, we decided to do it. I thought, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right because I'm going to enjoy it. And it was for me. It was going to be my personal thing. I never in a million years, I said to you, thought that it would ever get to what it did. And somebody came down and saw it one day and said, you should be doing charity stuff with this. People would pay to come. And I said, no, they, and why would they? Geez, this is just a, this is a crazy habit I have here. And, you know, who would care about this? And... I just and all of a sudden I, it got out there. Some people took some pictures, and I got contacted by Leaf Nation and they uh, network, and they did a special on it. And then all of a sudden I started getting phone calls. Would you consider doing something along those lines, or do something along that? And it just sort of exploded from there. And you know, I guess they did a really good job designing it. I I, I never thought it would look like that, and it just started going. But man, oh man, it worked out. Like you just mentioned that you've held multiple events and tours uh, and you've had a lot of big name people come in to yeah. uh, see the collection, sports figures and everything like that. Um, mm -hmm. What was their reaction to seeing um, this massive collection of history that you have? Well, you got to remember, first and foremost, anybody who's been down our basement, they were kids, too. Mm -hmm. They were passionate about the game of hockey, sports. So they all held their heroes. They all pretended they were somebody when they were growing up playing them driver on the street and scoring a winning goal in the Stanley Cup or even hitting a home run to win the World Series. All these guys, every one of them from Wayne Gretzky to Bobby Orr to Brennan Shanahan, Phil Esposito, you name it. I, I, I mean, all of them. We had over 80 Maple Leafs uh, come down the room and, and sign the door. Uh, we had astronaut uh, Chris Hatfield come. Mm -hmm. I actually called to come and see the place and set up. <clears throat> we had a private showing for him and his family. We... Um, uh, you know, we had musicians, we had uh, politicians, billionaires. It didn't matter who it was who came down down those steps. When they walked down the 14 steps, coincidentally, Dave Keon's number, who was my favorite player. That was a coincidence. <laughs> but as I told everybody, what do you want me to tell you? Do you want me to tell you it was planned like that? So you can have a better show. It makes a better story. But uh, it, it, it just the reaction was the same. And I never got tired of seeing it because you can tell I like to speak. And they'd get to the bottom and I'd start, I'd get excited, tell them you could always see that wow look in their face because they weren't expecting it. And then after a couple of minutes, when they would relax, all of a sudden the perk that I got out of it and the enjoyment I would get, then they would start relating stories to me. And they would walk around him. I mean, even somebody like Wayne Gretzky, he's just going around pointing at this and it's one story after Bobby Orr. But Derek Sanderson even telling stories, I mean, talking about the Leafs. All of them. And Sanderson was worried he was getting, uh, he was being recorded and he was saying he actually liked the Maple Leafs growing up and he didn't want anybody to know that. You know, so stuff like this. And 
uh, you, you just get some wonderful stories from hockey people because they're just so you know what hockey guys are like they're humble they're very modest about it and and they're very proud of their their Canadian upbringing and everybody loves to talk about the history and I, I don't care who you are everybody that came down there I remember Mike Babcock the first time and he was looking at it he he just said, I got to come back. I got to take this in a little bit better. He says, but man, oh man, you are not Mike. My goodness. <laughs> I knew Leaf fans were crazy, but you take it to another level. And Dion Phaneuf came and did a, a, an event with us one night. And at, at midnight, he walked up and he goes, I don't want to be too forward, Mike, but I've been spending all my night talking here. I haven't had a chance to really enjoy this. Do you mind if I come back? And his wife, Alicia Cuthbert, said, I've already working Debbie over now. We're going to bring my dad back. We'll be back because they were living around. They lived around the corner <laughs> from us. I've already worked Debbie over on that. So... You know, that, that was the part of it. And uh, did it ever get tiring for me? No, but it just showed me again and, and showed me again that really this is how great hockey guys are. And I can't say enough about them because anytime we went to have an event, these guys immediately stepped up and they immediately threw themselves at the event, helped it. They didn't come for an hour, spin around the room and leave. Those guys, I, I'd be throwing them out of there myself at midnight. You know, you can go now. And, you know, and I, but they were just so great, the hockey world. They made it so easy for us. And we were, we were very fortunate to have this relationships with a lot of these guys. But it's the hockey world that I'm just so thankful for who allowed us to do this. And I just opened the door and Deb did all the work and all those guys were the, the draws. And, and the support we got from Leafs Nation and from fans in general was just fantastic. I can't say enough, Mike. I kind of I kind of chuckled there when you mentioned the the Fisher Price item. Um, yeah. Only because, uh, you know, I, my son was just born in May, um, and obviously <laughs> congratulations. My, thank you, my my first child, and uh, just just in time for for NHL playoffs and, and to watch some of the Leafs, and it's amazing because uh, he was fixated on on hockey as soon as we put it on the TV and wanted to sit up and watch it right away. Uh, but one of the gifts we received uh, from from a coworker of mine was just, uh, you know, a two foot tall Austin Matthews figurine, and I remember bringing it home. My wife just kind of saying, "Well, where are we going to put that? It doesn't fit in the nursery." But um, you know, it's 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 amazing uh, how we try and and kind of pass on that that fandom and, and uh, this network that is Leafs Nation. Um, for you being a collector and having that size of a collection, is there any piece that really stands out to you that you know you kind of look back on and say, "Man, I, I'm glad I got my hands on that." Well, I, see, here's the thing, and I get asked that all the time, and I don't want to sound uh, you know trite about or anything like this, but every piece means something to me because the way I look at it is, as Rod Stewart said, every picture tells a story. Every piece tells a story, and I don't care whether it's a coin whether it's a, a card, it's a clipping from a newspaper, it means something. As I try to explain to people, you don't, you wouldn't buy a car, you wouldn't buy a pair of shoes, you wouldn't buy a shirt without knowing something about what you're putting around your shoulders or driving off the lot. Why would you buy a piece of memorabilia and not know something about it and have it on the wall? Like there's gotta be some meaning to it. So for me, what I, that's what I would talk, go back to talking about the tentacles. You can point something. I'll give you an example. Wayne Gretzky walked down the stairs, and right at the bottom of the stairs, we had the we had Leroy Neiman's serial graph of him breaking Gordy Howe's scoring record, and it's a beautiful piece. And underneath it was a 
Team Canada 1978 junior sweater with the blue crest that they only wore the one year. And that was the first year they put an all-star team basically together and they finished third, by the way. And Gretzky was, when they had his breakout year, and he was 16 years old. It happened to be Rick Vibe's sweater. And I pointed at that sweater and said, I bet you that bring, and Gretzky's going, oh my God, look at that. And he's, I said, I guess that brings back some memories, the sweater. He thought it was his, but I meant the 16-year-old kid playing with, in this junior tournament. And he said, oh boy, it sure does, but I got the one above it, I got a better story for you and the one above it, if you want to hear that. And I said, sure. And he said, well, Leroy Neiman used to come to a lot of games of ours in LA. And when that, when that happened, one of the greatest record-breaking events of all time, and he just blows it off like it was nothing. He said, when that happened, he was uh, at our game that night, and he said to um, Luke Robitaille, would you like me to do something to commemorate the evening for you guys for this special night? And as Wayne said, Lucky said, absolutely, that'd be fantastically right. We'd love to see something done for us on that. Fantastic. So off he goes, well, leave it with me. So off he goes. He comes back six months later. They decide to have a dinner. They have a dinner with the team. He takes the original, gives it to Wayne, and each player gets handed their own serial graph off that beautiful print or off that beautiful work of art. And then each player was handed a bill. And they look, what the hell? And he charged them all. And well, so Gretzky can barely get the last part of that out because he's spitting out laughing so hard because the, the players got, Leroy stuck them with that, like with the bill and charged them. And they thought they were getting it free. He was doing it for them. So he goes on to tell that story. And if you look it up, it says the LA Kings commissioned Leroy Damon to do that work of art when it was the other, he just hustled them. So later on, I got Eric Bloom visiting, and he's the guy who did Legends Row, the sculptures of the Leafs. Mm -hmm. So we're like, and he looked at that, and I told him that story, and he says, "Well, I actually know Leroy, Leroy uh, knew him uh, very well," and he said, "That sounds just like him." He tried to get Muhammad Ali like that one time. He <laughs> called Muhammad, and then he tells me this whole story about how he had called Muhammad Ali when he came back from Zaire, and he said, "Do you want me to do something to commemorate the evening?" and so on and so forth in the event. And Muhammad kept saying, "Why are you asking me that, Leroy? You don't have to ask." No, but Leroy, no, but Muhammad, do you want me to do something for you? No, you don't have to. He wouldn't bite because he knew Leroy had stuck him before one time and he wouldn't bite. <laughs> so that seograph that I found and put on my wall gives me that whole story and that whole connection. And other people then, every time they look at it, they tell me stories about, I've heard stories about the puck. And the big, there's a big whole long story about that, which I won't bore you guys with. And people being at that game. And, so, and it just all, just all goes from there. So that really gives me all that love that I have in it. The door, though, I would have to say, was one of the things that I didn't realize how important it was when I got it. When I first got it, it was taken out of the gardens by a worker. Uh, a friend of mine ended up with who was a dealer, he, and I wanted it, and I sat on it for years, knowing that I would put it in my room at some point, and I'd find a space for it. And it's funny, because Brad Boyce came over with a group of guys who were training with Gary Roberts at Station 7, just off of uh, uh, York Street. and way back in the day when Roberts was here. So the guys came over to see the room and boys came in late. And it was one of these things where he said, you know, any guy would come in, I always get a kick out of them because they're thinking they're going in, they're just going to see some guy's collection and it isn't anything. He's like, oh, Mike, I'm busy. Oh, go story. I'm like, oh, you know, I, you know, I got to go. I got playing hockey. Deep through. Oh boy, you know, I said, Brad, not a problem. Great having you here. Just have a look around, slip up when you got to go and, uh, you know, enjoy yourself. Well, at 8.30, he's looking around the room and he's got a beer in his hand and he's looking and I said I thought you had to play hockey and he goes oh screw that tonight I want to be here and I said to him well you know what 
Since you did that and you've sacrificed, let's see what we can do for you. So I just kind of slapped my hands together and we're standing around. The door was over in the corner and I thought, uh, you know what? Here's what I'll do. Sign the door. Oh, God, you can be the first Maple Leaf to sign the door. How's that? And I made it up right on the spot. He went, oh, no, no. I said, yeah, you're a first-round pick of the Leafs. You know what? Sign that door. Let's do that. You sure? <laughs> yep. 80 signatures later, guys were coming in the house, going to the door to sign it. And, you know, that, that, the thing about it is that that little innocent thing just started like that. But what we forget as fans is I would have players standing outside that door. Scotty McKay was the trainer, Lisa. I also had the stick rack from Lisa in the last game. And he looked at all his writing on all the numbers from, because the players would change. So they have to do it in tape and write the numbers on. And he signed the And he's looking at that door. He was crying. Players would stand there. They would have tears in their eyes looking at the door, thinking about their memories. Um, you know, you'd have, you know, Kim McGuire tell me a story. He said, you know, <laughs> he's leaning on that. He's pounding on the stick rack. He goes, yeah, Mike, this brings back a lot of memories for me, man. A lot of memories. I said, yeah, it does for a lot of guys. Kevin goes, yep. You know how many nights I was leaning on this, not dressed? Many, many, many nights watching games <laughs> leaning on this. You know, so you get all different variations of the players telling these stories about that. And that really then sinks home to me that, boy, oh boy, it really means so as much as to, to us as it does to the players, means it's even more to them. And the banner that I got, I mean, that's a fantastic story, but when I end up with the banner that they thought were all destroyed, the one that was saved was the 1962 banner. And when I brought Johnny Bauer over, and he had his first Stanley Cup, I brought it out, he's holding it, and tears are streaming down his face with him and his wife Nancy are looking at it, and they're both crying. And I thought, you know what? Again, it's he's just sitting there thinking of the memory. Bill Barocco's sister, before she passed away, came over and I had the program from the last game. I had a letter from him written to the Maple Leafs asking for a tryout for him and his brother so they could play together in Pittsburgh to the Leafs. And, but they actually ended up going to LA and you know the rest of the story. So I had the ticket stub from the game, the, the uh, program, and there was a couple, and, and his last contract he signed as a Maple Leaf and it was in this little display cabinet. She's looking at it and I brought the letter off the wall and gave it to her. And there she is standing there, the tears are streaming down her face, reading a letter. And I, I'm just, and normally I would think, this is the moment where I'm gonna say, do you remember when he wrote that? Were you helped? Maybe she was helping him write the letter. Maybe she sat, he was doing this at night after dinner or something when they were at home. But I just thought, you know what? This is one of those moments when this is just too personal for me to even interfere. So I just stepped away and left her alone. And she just stood there with her son, taking this all in. And she came up to me and she composed her. She goes, oh, Mike, um, you know, my mother was at this game. She doesn't have any of this stuff. Or she doesn't even have a program from the game. So I made copies of everything and got it to the family. But these are the type of emotions that you get. So for me, those are the memories that I take back and I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. And I just so, feel so honored to have that stuff shared with me. But I, I just got to tell you that, you know, even on the road when you have people telling you their, their own, people tell me that their family's, uh, you know, father would have his gravestone. He had a Maple Leaf crest put on it. Uh, another guy had a Maple Leaf crest on it, and he had Ty Domi's number because that's his favorite player. And they're telling these stories proud. And what we, what we don't appreciate maybe as much here in Toronto, which really struck me when I was traveling and meeting other Leaf fans, it's not the wins and losses, as I said at the beginning. What they're seeing is they get to see the team live maybe once a year. And when that team comes in, it means everything to them because it just brings back those memories and it just brings back that bonding and all that. And I know it sounds corny and rah, 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 all that, but believe me, 
it really, really hits home. And the emotion you can see when you're telling these stories. I, I met a guy in Calgary, this guy was 61 years old at the time. He'd never seen the Maple Leafs play when they came into Calgary. Always wanted to, but I guess he could never afford it, never had the opportunity. That day we're standing in Cowboys, and I don't know if you've ever been to Calgary, but Cow Cowboys is the hot, hot bar, and it's rocking <laughs> before the game, and the place is loaded with Leaf fans. Here's this guy telling me that day, and they're at a the table, and they pull me over, and his brother had flown in from Toronto that day with four tickets to the game for him, his wife, and his wife and him. And the four of them, here's this guy, 61 years old, the tears coming down his face tell me he's going to his first Maple Leaf game. And I look over and here's the wife crying, the sister-in-law crying, and his brother standing with his arms folded, emotional also. And I look at that and I go, how does it get any better than this? I mean, it's just, you just don't realize what it really means to people like out there. We get to see it every day and you know, I, I'm leaving Leaf games and they, I remember they lost to Pittsburgh 3 nothing. they scored two empty net goals and Matt Martin played there, or Matt um, Murray played the game of his life that night and stoned the Leafs and it's just one of those games that didn't work. All of, I, I'm walking to the subway and it's, they're no good, they're no good. Matt's is overrated. Marner's overrated. Oh, oh, oh we got to get rid of Freddie. <laughs> like all the way to that, all, and every second conversation is like, no, but they stink. The offense up. And look at that, they lost 3 nothing. Like it happens. Like, but, you know, on the road, they don't care. Now, I can tell you the Regal Beagle, though. If the Leafs win, the bar after jam-packed, they lose, not one person goes back. So they do take it a little bit serious, but for the <laughs> most part, it's all about the event. So I hope I, I went in a roundabout, long roundabout way, which I usually do, to try and answer that to you. But for me, encapsulating all of this, everything around it, it all means so much because every piece could mean something different to every person that walks down that room. And when they share that story with me, that's what's most important to me. Mike, you just touched up on a lot of great stories and talking about like some uh, um, events surrounding the, some of the pieces that you have. Mm -hmm. And even right now with some of the fans, uh, you know, being excited, it's the memories that they hold dear to them. Um, is this what makes, I mean, aside from, you know, Lee fans being fickle about if they lose, if they win, back and forth, um, is the passion that uh, that the fans hold to this team so dear makes this fan base so great? Yeah, I, like a lot of people, if you go to a college football game and you see, you know, you see families in the tailgating, is it, the, the, I mean, I, I, I used to do a lot of that, and that's one of the fun things if you ever take, you'll see where it's been generations of families going to the schools and, and the pride they have and, you know, the kids and so on and keeping the family tradition going to the school and so on. It's very similar to that. So, I mean, a lot, I mean the Leafs are not unique in that standpoint. Where they are unique is what I said at the beginning of the call was that they just have this exclusivity of being the only game in town for so many years that, as I said to you, it's become the fabric of a lot of families growing up. So that passion, while it's... It's different. Brett Conley told me he is from BC. His small town, they were all Leaf fans. He wasn't. He cheered for the Canucks. He lives in Toronto now in the off season. But what he did, he married a Toronto girl. He gets it though. He he appreciates it, even though he grew up a Canucks fan because he's a much younger. Obviously, mm -hmm. he's in his twenties or probably early thirties now. But he, um, a guy like him, he gets it. Because he's lived in the city, he's looked at it when Toronto's come into town when he was playing for Washington, and now he's in Florida. So all these type of things, they get it too. Peter DeBoer told me one time, he, when I met him in San Jose, he said, 
you know, I, he played for Windsor. He got drafted in the 12th round by the Maple Leafs in 1988. He said that he was a first-generation hockey player in his family, so it was a big deal for his family to his play him to play hockey. His mother fell in love with you know the Boris Salmings, and he likes Sittler and all this kind of stuff. So as you would expect, he, they went to get they couldn't really afford tickets in Toronto because they're expensive. So they go and see the Leafs play in Buffalo or Detroit sometimes. But he said to me, getting drafted by now it stung on draft day getting drafted in the twelfth round because he was a big goal scorer and he wasn't much defensively. Uh, he'll he'll admit, but he said. Getting drafted in the 12th round by the Toronto Maple Leafs meant more to him than getting drafted in the 6th round by anybody else. I mean, this is a guy who's now, he's now in Las Vegas, but here's a guy coaching the National Hockey League, and he still has that passion in his blood with the Maple Leafs and what it meant to him growing up. Bruce Boudreau told me the same thing, basically, growing up. He's basically the all-in-all Toronto, Toronto guy, playing with the Marlies, with the Leafs. And he said, going up and down with the Leafs, he said, I'd rather be doing that being anywhere else. He said, even today, when he was in Minnesota, he said, I watch every Maple Leaf game religiously. I tape them. And he said, well, he made a joke. He said, I better have a good scouting report and we play them tomorrow night. But he watches every game still, even though he's with a different team, but they still have that bond with him. And you find that everywhere. I don't care whether it's a hockey player, it's a fan. It's just what it means to these people. And it's just something special, this connection that they have. And you get to the rink, uh, Thunder Bay, people drive from Thunder Bay, six and a half hours to Minnesota just to go see the Maple Leafs play. They'll drive seven hours to Winnipeg to see the Maple Leafs play. They don't think anything of it. I met a guy there in his 50s, and as I said to you, what I'd do is I would go into the rink, and when I talked to everybody, what we would do is I would send all the pictures and videos to Google Drive, which Debbie would pick up, and then Debbie would be working social media here in Toronto with somebody else who was helping us, and she'd be posting all this stuff where I would be between periods, some of the people I met, posting pictures of the game, the warm-up and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and just anything sort of general to do with that night's activities. Because I was so busy doing all that stuff while I'm sitting at my seat, you, you should have seen me. I was like a one-armed paper hanger trying to do all this, scrunching these little seats sometimes doing this. And she, and she would answer the, the Instagrams on my behalf a lot of times because I couldn't because they're coming into me and I, I'm trying to do all this other stuff and I'm talking to people between periods. So... You know, all, all these things would be going out there, and then people would be sending it. She, one night, uh, she said, I'm going out for dinner with some friends or something, a couple of girls. And then so later on, I'm watching a Leaf game, and all of a sudden, Leaf score. She goes, nice goal. And I thought, oh, oh, you're watching that game in the restaurant? And she said, no, there was no TV there, so I came home. I didn't go because she had to be up on top of what the Leafs were. And this is Deb, who's a, she's a hockey fan, but not not to cancel a night dinner and come home. And she made sure she watched every game. She looked, I watched the sports every morning to make sure she had everything right and would check with me if she was making sort of that type of answer. So this guy in Thunder Bay, I was always taking my little notes and I would send them to her and she would get them out. So I see this group of guys and they look like they're about six or seven deep. So I go over to these boys and, how you doing boys? And, and like they didn't really know who I was at that time. Guys out west, you know, obviously in the Toronto area, they kind of know, heard of the Ultimate Leaf fan, but out there they didn't really know. But a few people did pick up on it. But he said, so what are, what are you up to there? And I said, well, I, I told him, he says, I, can I talk to you guys? And he said, well, here's our leader here. And I said, yeah, all right. So I go, and he says, now you're going to be recording this and taking my picture? And I said, I'm going to make you a star. Don't worry, man. You're going to be a star. <laughs> and he said, I, uh, oh, I can't talk to you. I go, what? what do you, you can't talk to me. And they go, we'll talk to you. He's, he's a weirdo. So they, I said, oh, what's wrong? Oh, all right. So off he goes. 
he just stands out to the side. So I talk to other guys and they tell me all their stories and so on. So I turn around, I can't let this go, boys. What did I do to you? You're the only guy that spoke to me. I said, what did I do? Like, you're a Leaf fan. Like, what, I, uh, the only thing I can think of, did you violate your parole crossing the border? Is that what it is? And you don't want me, you don't want anybody to know? And he goes, well, actually, if my wife finds out I'm here, I might as well be in jail because she's going to kill me. He didn't use kill. He used the swear word in there, okay? Um, <laughs> he said, I said, really? What, what happened? Now he starts laughing. He comes over. He thought I was a reporter and I was going to put it in the newspaper. So he, he got that morning. This is a 50-some-odd-year-old man. I got up. He took his sweater, stuck it under his coat, snuck out of his house, and into his buddy's car and made the six-and-a-half-hour drive to go see the Leafs play without telling his wife just to sneak out of the house so she wouldn't see him. I said, okay, now explain this to me. That's a great story, but what about when you go back? You've been gone for 15 hours or whatever it is. And he said, oh, I'll worry about that when I get there. The damage has been done. <laughs> then he gives me a big hug, and he goes, and he goes good luck with everything. And then he started howling all the guys. But that's, that's the type of stuff that I ran to, into, not quite like that, but stories similar to that all the time. And just shows you what it means to these people to go to those games. You know, I met another, a group of guys in Thunder Bay. Of course, I never drank at any of the games. I got offered probably 10 beers every game. I wouldn't eat because I didn't want any booze in my breath. I was talking to families and kids and stuff like that. And if there was any confrontations with anybody, I want to make sure that I was the sober one always. And there was no, no alcohol, no trace or nothing they could blame me. I couldn't eat in any of the games because I, if I had my hands full and somebody went by wearing a crazy outfit or something, I, I'd have to take a picture. And I'm not exactly that apt at using a camera or a phone camera. Believe me, I was useless. So I, I was always had to be an alert to, to be ready for somebody to do something and make my notes. Uh, but, you know, I would always, so I, I ran into my fair share of uh, overserved people which was pretty funny at times, but that's why I didn't really go to the bars. After games, I would try and go away from because all you're going to run into is all, it's just, it's going to, that's not going to serve any purpose. But a lot of guys, uh, I had these guys come up to me in Thunder Bay and they did know who I was. Uh, they were from Thunder Bay again. He goes, just like, tell you something, man, you see this group here? This isn't just a 50 or 60 people to come. Hundreds come from Thunder Bay for every game. Hundreds, I'm telling you. That's what we care. That's what we think of the Leafs. And they just and he was just so proud of this. And and I looked around and I, I ran into so many people. The other place I ran a lot of people is Newfoundland people. Mm-hmm. They love to travel and watch Leafs play. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I got a good story for that. I met a, these guys like in Washington. So this guy stops me and gave me a great line. I said to him, "So give me your." Um, I always ask guys your name, Leafs. Give me one of your favorite Leaf moments growing up. And this guy said, well, you know what? I don't really have them, but every time they hit the ice, that's a special event for me. And this guy was, you know, probably late 40s. And I thought, what a great answer. So these guys come in. They, I wore a maybe, I have this crest, the Ultimate Leaf fan, and a hat so people could identify who I was when they were looking for me when I was trying to set up meeting people. So these guys come in. And I just talked to a guy from Newfoundland outside whose girlfriend surprised him with tickets to the game. And he, I talked to him for a while. So I come inside. These six, seven guys come in down the steps to go to watch the warm-up, and they're they're about you know, seven or eight deep. So the one goes, "Hey, this guy says, hey, this guy says he's the ultimate leaf fan. Who's this guy? Oh, the ultimate leaf fan." I go, hey, "How you doing, guys?" And he said, "You're not the ultimate leaf fan. He is." And they're pointing at his buddy. 
And I goes, this guy thinks he's the ultimate leap fan. He's not. They're all, and they're all screaming at me. I go, no, I never said I was the ultimate leap fan. ESPN gave me that name. No, if he's the ultimate leap fan, I got to talk to him. I let me talk. Who is he? And his buddy there, and he's got the wobbly eyes, and he's, they're all half in the back of the song. I figure how these guys are going to make it through the game. And so I looked at him. I said, can I talk to you? You're the ultimate leaf fan. I want to speak to you. I've got, I've got you on camera. I'm going to make you a star here. And he said, yeah, man, I'll talk to you. And he says, um, all right, you want to gather your thoughts? No, I'm good. Well, here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask your name. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to ask your favorite leaf moment. Do you want to gather your thought and think of it? Growing up. This guy's 51 years old, too. I get all the 50-year-old guys. Guy's 51. His buddies are all the same age, and they're all standing in a row. And remember, now remember walking down steps, if you can imagine. So there are a couple steps, like, in a, in a row, okay, these guys? So just imagine that. And I'm standing in the seats talking to this guy with my little camera. So I said, all right, give me your name. again. his name. I said, what is your favorite Leaf moment? Ah, boy, that's easy. He said, Austin Matthews scoring on Carey Price, and he didn't effing move. So I stopped for a second, and I think, I, that was last week. That was, that was the leak opener. <laughs> like, that's your favorite moment of all time? <laughs> so I'm trying to keep a straight face, and I go, oh, I, 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 uh, that was awesome. That's great. That's great, Steve. Great. What about you? So the one guy had a sweater on. He had all these signatures on. He's gathered over the years. I don't know how there's not 20,000 beer stains on it, but somehow <laughs> it, it, it survived, and it was clean. It looked great. And each guy had a story. And the guy at the end, this is the funniest part. The guy at the end had a Washington Capital sweater on. So when I went to go to him, they just sort of did a domino bang, like where they hit one guy, hit the next guy, and the guy hit this guy, and he fell into the seats. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't want to hear what he has to say anyway. He's like, he cheers for the wrong team. You know, so, and I was just standing there howling. And these guys were just fantastic. They were just, so they were all hugging me when they laughed and all that, and they were laughing. But, but that's, that's what you run into in, in Leaf fans. I mean, it's just... The passion is just so unbelievable, and but they're, you know, they're in good spirits, and they were fun watching them walk out of the rink at the beginning when the Leafs are going well. And that was my other big worry because when they, when he got in Chicago, and um, you know, first road game, and then they started, you know, they, they were behind. I thought, you know what, I'm doing this road trip. If they start losing, I'm gonna get heat online. Guys are probably going to start ripping me that I'm the reason and stay at home, go away, drop dead, maybe leave fan, yell to leave fan, get out of there and all this stuff. And I thought, oh, shoot. So I started worrying then. So when they went on the four-game winning streak, I'm thinking to myself, okay, 17 to go, 17 to go. Because they had to get, I figured, 20 wins, get some 500, okay, and they're 500 on the road, that's fine. So I, I'll be thinking, 17 to go, 16 to go, 15 to go, okay, I'm in good shape, I need 12. So I counted them all the way down to make sure what I got, that I because at home, that's not, my, that's not on me, on the road would be on me, even though I was at all the home games, but I'm thinking, this one's not on me on the road. So when I got finally positive, I could finally relax. I said, okay, good, they can't blame me now. Yeah, it's funny, it's funny too, you mentioned like how many trips you'd make around the, the arena based on if they were winning or losing it's it, i mean you almost bought into that that uh superstition of being you know with the team as well um mike obviously we've taken up uh, a lot of your time and we could go on forever with you you've got some amazing content amazing stories yeah last little thing before sure. before we let you go here um one i want to hear about uh you know your podcast obviously give give your your show a little shout out here and also what are your thoughts on on the team going forward uh, with with the off season they've had? Uh, well, thanks for that. Uh, well, so Squid, I, Squid, by the way, is Rick Five. That's his nickname. And Rick and I, uh, I, I, I've always wanted to do 
something. I've, I've been approached to do stuff with uh, on the radio and stuff like that, but I wanted to do something a little different and, and you know, and make maybe a little bit of a difference if we could. So Rick and I have talked a little bit. We've done some, he's done a lot of charity stuff with us and we've been friends for a number of years. So, and I know he wanted to get out and do something. And so we just kind of put our heads together and we, we put this podcast and we thought, you know, I, I, I want to make it fun, make it interesting. You know, you, I, I mean, you don't want to, we don't want to be sort of the extent of spit and chickens because those guys are the absolute, they're, they're yeah. kind of the kings of podcasts right now. <laughs> I mean, but they've got their own brand. They've got their own way of doing it. And you don't want to be a boring guy where it's, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Delego hit five at center. He crossed the blood and he roofed one for his 42nd. Well, who cares? Yeah. Like you look on YouTube, I just said, the biggest thing we want to do is we want to get guys on, have guys tell some funny stories, talk a little bit about hockey, talk a little bit about their passion. And as deep a dive as the player wants to go into the stories is as good as the listener is going to stay engaged. So that's kind of where we're going from. We had Jeremy Roenick on, and I mean, some of the stories that he told us were just absolutely off the charts, and he's so fu- he was so funny. And some of the guys we've had, like Boris Salming, listen to Salming, and if you ever get a chance, just listen to him discuss a guy coming from Sweden, going into a strange country, new rink, all that kind of stuff. But this guy got it immediately how it worked. And he tried to work with Inga Hammerstrom. By the way, he told me off record or off camera like uh, um, ages ago, he thought during that period with Dolf Nielsen and Anders Hedberg and him and all the other guys, Inga Hammerstrom is the best player of them all. He just came at the wrong time with the the way the game was played at that time, and they ran at him and stuff like that. He wasn't used to that. If he'd come 10 years later, he would have been a superstar. Uh-huh. So you get these type of stuff from these players, and, you know, we're just having some fun with it, and it's enjoyable talking to the guys. So, you know, I, I we're, we're just going to keep doing it. And the Hockey News, we're, we're on the Hockey News podcast uh, website. So we go, we do, we work with them, and we're just going to see what we do with it. We're, like you guys, we just try to have some fun with it and talk hockey, and how can that be a bad thing? Mm-hmm. As far as mm-hmm. Leafs go, I think that um, I love the fact that they, that the, the moves they made in the off season. I, I like this depth uh, approach that uh, Kyle Dubas has taken. Uh, I'm glad they didn't sign Petrolangelo. I mean, take a look at what Vegas has had to do to make him fit him yeah. in the lineup. And I'm telling you, you have to be prudent at some point. You have to be prudent. Uh, I, I mean, we love John Tavares, but that Tavares contract is going to hurt the Leafs at some point. And they know that, mm-hmm. but if you get a standard cup in there somewhere in between, it'll fill it out. But you cannot go and pay Petrangelo nine million dollars or whatever he's going to get, and have in three or four years have twenty million dollars of cap space being used by two guys who may not even be playing. Mm-hmm. You've got to be prudent and businesslike. So to me, filling the gaps with players like this, like as a general manager told me one time, the best guys to sign are assets that you acquire that don't cost you anything but money. And spending less than a million dollars on the likes of, well, Simmons a little more, but, you know, on Simmons and, and um, uh, Thornton and on Spezza, these are good acquisitions because, you know what, if it works out, you get that last few ounces of hockey talent left with these guys and the leadership out of these guys, it can work immensely on a team. And look at, look at the, the effect that uh, Patrick Marle had, except that he cost $18 million, so that's a little more expensive. <laughs> But, you know, Brody on the back end, Brogosian on the back end just makes the Leafs a little bit better. Mm-hmm. gives them some great depth. I think the thing that Kyle Dubas doesn't get enough credit for is the strength and the depth he puts at the Marlboro level. The Mar- I call the Marlboros. The Marlies. Because with no cap space, they're allowed to spend. It's a, it's a luxury. The Leafs have it. I know the rest of the league hates it. But the Leafs use it to their advantage. And why not? 
sign these guys and load that place up, load that team up with guys who will be competitive, push guys for jobs, make the Marlies a contender, but also give you lots of depth. You notice Toronto, anytime somebody got hurt, they've got somebody to step in that really doesn't look out of place. They've done a very good job on that. And that started back in the Brian Burke day, and it's just been carried forward on this because that's that's where winning teams start right there. So watch out, as much as I hate to say, watch out for Ottawa in the next couple of years because what they've got in Belleville and what they've drafted the last while. But I think at some point now, it's accountability. It's got to go to the players. The players have to start delivering. They know it's at stake. Mm -hmm. These guys are not rookies anymore. They're going into their fifth year, a lot of these guys. They know it's at stake. They know what it takes to win. Start delivering. And, you know, no more excuses. And it's, it's it, to me, start putting up. And you know what it's about. There's no more excuses about playing in this tough city, the media, all that stuff. You know what it is. Start make it. Just dig down. Look in that mirror. That's who you're accountable to. No more bitching. No more complaining. Just get down that ice and do your job. And that uh, I think they've got the right makeup of guys to do that. And I come back to Vegas. I'm telling you, Petrangelo, boy, if they think he's the guy that kick him up, they gave up a real big part of their defense. The top four, they gave him away. Uh, they gave away a number two center, and they don't even have a number one center. And boy, oh boy, that would be Toronto. Just think about the Toronto media if they gave away Morgan Riley and say Alex Kerfoot to make room for Petrangelo. Mm -hmm. Come in here. Imagine what would be going on now. Oh God. And but that's pretty much what you have to do if you're looking at dollars and cents. So I like that they didn't make a big splash. And the best part about all this is they are now in a position that if something enticing came along. They've got room to do something. I mean, moving a bigger piece. And everybody likes to pick on Willie Nylander, but if it happened to be him or whoever it was, they've got room to do something significant if they have to. But I think at this point, uh, I like the fact they've picked up that third goaltender uh, because if the schedule goes as planned and they're playing every other night, you're obviously going to run into some injury problems, and it's nice to create some uh, competition. So I love the fact that they've, they've, they've developed a real strong core at the Marley level, also on the D side. they got a lot of defensemen fighting for spots. Looks like they're going to start with a 20-man roster and put a couple guys down. It's going to push guys. And if guys go down with the right attitude, I remember Bruce Boudreau telling me, uh, when we had him on our podcast, he said one of the things that, the things that, that, that really drives him, not crazy, but he used to get, not upset at either, but he would just look at guys when he would go to send a guy down. And he'd give him that hard look. And he'd say, guy, whoever it is, understand something. The league you're going to, it's a good league. These guys are good. Go down there and try and play well there. You play well there. You're coming back. It's not an insult to get sent down. This is not this, – you're not getting sent to play with the beer league guys and Mark with me, these 60-year-old guys have done Sunday nights. <laughs> this is a real good league. This is one of the best leagues in the world you're going to play in. You're going to get better. You're getting a chance to play. Go. And that's, to me, you know, that, that, that's if you've got that attitude, like, let's face it, that's where the leadership of Chell and Keith is going to have to come in because he has that experience at the Martins and they've won. Let's face it, all these guys, the coaches all teach the same things. They all know the X's and O's. They all got, the, maybe they had a little different system as far as checking goes or you know, the way they play this neutral zone or whatever, however they go about it. But for the most part, they're teaching all the same things. It's all about communicating with the 23, well, maybe at least case 20 players on that roster and how they look at you. 
So that's his role, is the communication. And I think that he's bringing that experience with the Martys. He's got some good support behind him, and now McLean up in the booth. All these type of things, I think the pieces are all there. And let's just see what happens. Get out there and start winning some games, get in the playoffs, and let's see how it all goes from there. Forget about talking about the rest of it. Get out and win the games first, and let's see how it goes. Well, Mike, as I mentioned, thank you very much for coming on. Obviously, you know, thank we you. appreciate you taking the time to, uh, you know, share your experiences and, and your stories. Uh, like I said, we could go on forever with you, but uh, we, we definitely appreciate you coming on. And, and if, if you're not following him already, go follow uh, Mike over at Leafs Fan on Twitter and follow the, their, their show, uh, Rick and, and uh, Mike together, uh, at Squid ULF Podcast. So, uh, check them out and again Mike thank you very much for coming on yeah Boys, really appreciate it oh my pleasure guys thanks for having me I had a great time well Peter another great interview with another wonderful guest and obviously you know Mike knows his stuff about the Leafs uh, you know Leaf historian um, if you haven't seen what what kind of collection he has check out his blog check out his site um, you know the ultimate Leaf fan great guy um, yeah, I, I there, there's not much more I can say about what uh, what he brings to brings to the Maple Leafs uh, kind of Leafs Nation, um, you know, with with his input and, and the guests and, and events that he holds at his place. I mean, there's a debate about certain people saying, "Oh, I'm the biggest Leaf fan. I'm the biggest Leaf fan." You know, I th- I think I'm the biggest Leaf fan. No, no, I don't even compare to Mike right now. Everything that he has, his knowledge of the game, his commitment to the fan base and just love of everything he is truly undoubtedly the ultimate lease fan yeah and uh obviously like i said we were so happy to get him on and uh we appreciate mike doing that and um you know aside from that uh peter you got anything else left for the week or uh are we moving on to episode 13 already um I'm working on, well, we talked about it briefly today. I'm working on uh, some bubble players, but um, over at the Hockey Writers. But other than that, um, I'm looking to see what the next week brings for episode 13, though. What have you got going on, man? Um, I don't have much of anything going on right now. Right now, is uh, I've got the week looking forward to a, a, ni- a nice week. Uh, like I said, cold weather's moving in. Hockey should mm-hmm. be going on, but obviously we <laughs> don't have that happening. Um I'll be looking at. I'll be doing a little 2021 draft uh, preview. Obviously, we uh, we we've lost a couple of our draft guys over at the Hockey Writers, so mm-hmm. um, I'm going to take that on a little bit and, and and try and provide a little bit of draft content for for our readers moving forward. Um, aside from that, uh, you know, check us out on Twitter, guys. Obviously, you know, you can follow me at Andrew G Forbes on Twitter. Um, you can follow the show at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E, the number six, I-X-P-O-D. Um, you know, obviously give us a follow, rate us, um, you know, review us if you can. Take the take the, take the the five minutes to help us out. We want to give a, yeah. give you guys a better product and, and obviously, you know, get this show kind of moving forward uh, with, with, you know, what we have to offer. So um, aside from that, everyone stay safe. Keep your masks on. Let's get these numbers down so we can get hockey back on the ice, so we can go to yep. games, so we can watch these games, so we can, you know, scout these young players for you, so you can know who's up and coming mm-hmm. in this game of hockey. Um, aside from that, uh, you know, send us some questions, guys. We're, we're looking forward to yeah. answering your questions on the show. And, uh, 
you know, episode 12, um, you know, we're, we're, we're moving forward with this. We are. Yeah. And uh, like you said, if you have a question, feel free to ask. We love to answer any uh, thing that you have on your mind about, you know, the roster prospects, anything. If you have a question, send it in. All right, folks. Thanks again for listening in, taking the time out of your day to hear us jabber on about the game of hockey. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Have a good one, guys.